it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Top 10 takeaways. COVID-19 edition. That's right. That's right. The Podfather has his tissues here. We are mid-COVID-19 here. It seems like I have the, uh, the, the Cron variant. Seems to be more mild, according to reports and according to my experience. Tested positive a few days ago. So I've been symptomatic for the last three days or so. But it peaked about 36 hours ago peaked very quickly in terms of the the, the symptom severity, and uh, I woke up feeling a lot better today. I did not think when I went to bed last night we would be having a conversation here. That we would, well, There's no conversation. I'm talking at you. But I didn't think when I went to bed last night that I'd be talking at you today. No way. No way. But it. hey, hey, here it is. Here it is. This is COVID positive podcasting right here. It's something I'm happy to do. I, I hope that it, it gives you hope that if you do catch this this particular variant, that you'll have the the lighter version of it, like like I have, and that uh, the more people that we know that have this version and have this experience, then it, it can it can just turn the temperature down across our whole society, and the the, the sense of emergency will 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 be tempered. I let my uh, my sister know that I had it, and then her you know her son was crying. He was he was very worried. A lot of these kids they they're really sensitive to this. They I don't even think that it's that anyone has sat down with these kids and, and you know instilled fear in them specifically. I just think that kids have they're such absorbers of information and feelings. They're they're, they're better empaths typically than than fully formed adults. The anxiety has been permeating. That's who's most stressed out about it at this point. So yeah, my nephew was crying. I was like, listen, buddy, there's nothing to, just, you know, Uncle Matt's going to be fine. Pal, just, uh, just, I'll, I'll, I'll keep you up to date. It's essentially what I would attribute to be a, a, an upper respiratory infection. That's been my experience. And, and I think just that the more and more people that, that uh, experience it in some way, whether it's firsthand with themselves or people around them, that the perceptions will change. I, 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 th- I think it's an exciting moment that in the, the, the midst of it, at the, at the height of, of my infection, that we're going to be doing a podcast. And I have no plans to make this like a short podcast. Oh, this is just going to be a few observations. You know, maybe we'll do the top nine takeaways, right? Maybe, oh, top nine takeaways this, this week. But no, no. Typically what we do is we start with a goal of 10 takeaways and then we, we, we default into, well, we'll just do uh, a takeaway per game. So then it'll be something like, whatever, 14, 15 takeaways. And then it turns out to be like a takeaway per team, right? And then that ends up being like 32 takeaways. And then it ends up being, you know, even more than that. So it's over an hour show, 
with 40 plus takeaways. And it's also very important that we do this show, whether I'm sick or not, we need to make sure we do this show because holy shit, the NFL is fun. What? How about that game last night? And how about the game before that? And how about the game before that? And how about the game before that? I mean, this was the set of games I was most excited to talk about. So of course we're doing a show. And then I check the news before I go live and I find out that Rick Spielman's been fired. So my first takeaway is, Vikings, what the fuck are you doing? What the fuck are you doing, Vikings? It's crazy. It's crazy to fire Rick Spielman. They were hugely unlucky this year on a lot of levels. They had a missed field goal, cost them a game, like a short field goal miss. And they were particularly ravaged by injuries at critical points in the season. And if you actually go back and look at Rick Spielman's choices, they're some of the best among NFL general managers. Season after season, the draft picks he makes and the players he signs in free agency are some of the best decisions you could make in terms of the players to go target, but also how much you're going to pay them, the players you're going to draft, and where you're going to draft them, what positions you need. Time and time and time and time again, Rick Spielman drafts the right position in the right round and doesn't overspend draft capital. Just look at Christian Derisaw. Best example, Christian Derisaw in the first round. The Vikings just set their franchise back like a long way. It tells me that Kellen Mond might play sooner than he would have had uh, Rick Spielman been there because now there's more of a chance that they, they just decide to turn this whole franchise over. So the only people that might be happy about Rick Spielman getting fired were Kellen Mond dynasty owners, I guess. I guess that would be it. But just just a horrific decision, especially coming off a win. Like it's one thing to fire Ryan Pace and just everybody in Chicago, gone. Think about the, the last three teams that, that Evan Silva and I have, have, have taken down. It's been the Giants, and then it was Texans, and then it was the Bears. So that's, that's the three in a row. Right there. Boom, boom, boom. Let's look at their records. The, the Bears are 6-11, and 11, so they finished 6-11. and 11, And the Texans finished 4-13, and 13, and the Giants finished 4-13. and 13. So we have a, a, a pristine record, Mr. Evan Silva and I. Very proud of that. And there weren't a lot of takeaways in this game other than, you know what I'm going to say, you, you know it, Amir Smith-Marset. So Amir Smith-Marset had the sleeper profile in this class. He was like, oh, he's best comparable to Dante Pettis. But no, Dante Pettis could have been good. Some had Dante Pettis ranked as their number one wide receiver in the class. I think we know who that analyst was. Rhymes with uh, uh, Watt Maldman, right? Remember, remember that guy? He, uh, he really liked Pettis, right? So it wouldn't have surprised some people had, had Pettis been good. So Amir Smith-Marset could be what we wanted Dante Pettis to be because what Amir Smith-Marset brings to the table is uh, explosiveness and incredible lateral quickness and just fluidity in space and, and that spatial awareness, too, that is surfaced when you look at the special teams production. Like, that's why we look at special teams production. That's why it was important that Cooper Cup be a special teams ace at Eastern Washington, right? When he's, he's thousands of special teams yards in his career, right, at Eastern Washington. How the hell did he do that? Right. Well, he did that because he has incredible spatial awareness and lateral quickness, 
which is what Amir Smith-Marset brings to the table. He brings to the table a lot of what Cooper Cup brings to the table. And Adam Thielen's going to be 32, and he's been laid low by lower body injuries last few years. And how much you're going to get from Adam Thielen next year, I think that this is going to be a year where 2022 Adam Thielen sort of is, is phased out. And one of, one of Amir Smith-Marset or K.J. Osborne is phased in. But K.J. Osborne never flashed as a rookie. Never. Right? So already as a rookie, Amir Smith-Marset, even though it was a cheat because he had an extra game, right? Amir Smith, he, he actually had the extra game. So it, it's not an apples-to-apples comparison. I get it. But he did it, right? I-S-M-ism. Maybe just call him ism. Can we just call him ism? It's just Amir Smith-Marset is a lot. It's a lot of syllables. We'll just call him ism. Ism has a 100-yard game. As a rookie, K.J. Osborne didn't do anything as a rookie, and then it, also K.J. Osborne didn't do anything in this game. Uh, score a touchdown. So uh, that's the takeaway. The takeaway is Ism is good. He's clearly good. And he checks a lot of the boxes that we like to see, especially day three picks, because day three picks are never going to be uh, outstanding prospect profiles. There's going to be some red flags. And he, he wasn't super fast. He wasn't super productive with the raw counting stats. But when you look at the rate stats on a, on a low-volume college offense, and then you also combine the, the quality rate stats, not necessarily counting stats, with the special teams production and the workout metrics, which where he was, you know, where he, he really flashed in the agility drills, suddenly his comps to other players that have great quickness, have great special teams production, in their history, suddenly uh, this becomes a player with a number of comps that have been productive in the NFL. Even Dante Pettis had a productive season. And the cool thing about Amir Smith-Marset, not only is he quick, he also has explosiveness. How do you think you get to 100 yards on only three catches? You have to have some explosiveness, and he has a 124.9 79th percentile burst score. So he's small. And typically, you need to be fast if you're going to be small. Most of the small receivers that break out are super fast, sub 4440s. We're talking about T.Y. Hilton, Brandon Cooks, Tyree Kill, where they all have in common, sub 44 wheels. The guys that break out without the sub 44 wheels, they have to have exceptional quickness and explosiveness and special teams ability. And fortunately, Amir Smith-Marset has all those other things which can somewhat make up for his lack of straight-line speed. It can't totally make up for it because he's still, arguably, you could say, that he's still a lower probability to break out next year than Anthony Schwartz. You might say, wait, wait, what? Anthony Schwartz never had a 100-yard game? Yeah, but Anthony Schwartz has the 4-4 four, four wheels. And small receivers are much, much more likely to break out with the sub 4 for wheels than any other trait on their profile. It just so happens that Amir Smith-Marset happens to check a bunch of these other boxes to give him a chance. It gives him a chance. That's all we're looking for. Just give this guy a chance. So very excited to see that. That was a surprise. That was one that was the one of the the uh, uh, pleasant surprises of the week. I mean, Darnell Mooney 16 targets, Allen Robinson's gone. Darnell Mooney is Taking his moonshot. That was amazing. Great. I mean, Dynasty Riser. 
There goes Allen Robinson. Here comes Darnell Mooney. Doesn't really matter who the quarterback is. He's going to have that offense all to himself. And he's coming off a 16-target game, 130, 100, yeah, 130 yards in Week 18. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Dalvin Cook. I hope you got rid of him in, uh, in Dynasty. He's way post-Apex at this point. It's important to remember that the age Apex, and, and this seems crazy. It always seems crazy when you bring it up, but it's true. The age Apex for running backs is 24 and a half. And Dalvin Cook is now 26 and a half. He's two years post-Apex. Think about that. Think, think about that. When the season starts, he's going to be two and a half years post-Apex. That is a, a quintessential dynasty sell. And it, it may be too late. It, it may be too late. You may put Dalvin Cook on the block this offseason and you might be surprised with how few people are interested. Same with Ezekiel Elliott. It's like, well, I don't know. He didn't finish the season strong. This team is in turmoil with no Rick Spielman. The Kirk Cousins is in his final year of his deal. Why do I want Dalvin Cook? You got to come up with an answer. If you have Dalvin Cook in Dynasty, you got to come up with an answer. Now, I have Dalvin Cook on one team. Uh, I, I was able to trade him uh, because the year after the AJ Pecks, you need to be putting these running backs in the block. They get their, their second contract. They have their career year at age 25, 26. You put those backs on the block. That's the rule of thumb, always and forever. I did hold on to him in a, a win-now mode team. I did hold on to him thinking I would win and thinking he would help me win a championship. And I needed him. I just needed an extra 10 points in the championship game. I think I needed less than that. We should look that up. How far away was I from, from winning that? It was, the, uh, it was a patron league. Patreon.com forward slash podfather. Join a patron league. Play me. Play me. Play me in Dynasty. Think you're better than me at Dynasty? Play me. See how it goes. It was the Minion Army League. We have the Minion Army League. And in that, in, that, uh, in that game, let's look at the results. We got to check the results. Week 17, I lost by 12. I lost by 12. 241 to 229. That was tough. That was a tough loss. Put up 229 points in a, in a fantasy uh, matchup. You feel like you're going to win. I should have won. I thought I was going to win. And I didn't win because I have Dalvin Cook. And in that game, Dalvin Cook posted last week 4.3 points. He was the RB49. Okay? Think about, think about that for a second. If he had just had a normal Dalvin Cook week, I would have won. I would have won the championship. That's what I was expecting. I was projected to win for that reason. And so that's why I, I never put him on the block. I was like, I got to go win this championship. I just cost myself a lot of dynasty value. That roll of the dice coming up snake eyes cost me a lot because he could, by the time I trade him, if I do, he'll probably have lost like 50 lifetime value points between when I could have traded him and when I end up trading him. That was a major decision. And if I, if I look back, had he just had the week he had in week 14 against Pittsburgh, 35 points, I would have crushed, right? Weeks before that, 20 points, 20, 22 fantasy points, th those would have been enough to win. So I don't regret the decision. I really don't. I, and with hindsight bias, I don't regret the decision, even though, oh God, he is going to be a tough asset to swallow in Dynasty. Oh my God. Ugh. Bengals, Browns, any takeaways from this game? Not really. Although, you know, good for Case Keenum, man. I like Case Keenum. Good for him. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, four targets, efficient with his targets. 
Landry made a comeback. Somehow Jarvis Landry decided that he was going to uh, show himself to be a guy that can produce fantasy points again. Good for him. That's great. Travion Williams had a chance to flash. Didn't. Chris Evans was more was more efficient. Chris Evans was also used in the passing game. So the one takeaway from this game is Chris Evans, five targets. He will be the handcuff for Joe Mixon next year. Joe Mixon's also well past the age apex and will be an injury risk next year for sure, just based on his workload. So Chris Evans will be a premium handcuff for next year. That's that's the big takeaway. Whenever you have a big running back with with Burst who also catches passes, I'm not saying he's a target magnet, but five targets, and then he's catching four for 24 yards, touchdown, it's impressive. So Chris Evans going to be a dynasty mover moving up. Packers-Lions, we, we recommended three games. Right, we, we recommended that that you hit this this Packers Lions game. This this could be a, a sneaky little shootout. The 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 Saint Brown Civil War. The Saint the the Equanimius didn't really show up for the Civil War, but because uh, we we thought maybe they, they would just rest their starters, they didn't. They like, no, we, we have the bye. We might as well play our starters for a, a half. And whenever they play the starters for a half, it just fucks everybody. So playing starters for a half means no one's fantasy relevant. So that was that was a bummer on the Packers side of the equation. But if you played Amon Ross St. Brown, I mean, this guy is a rocket ship. I don't know if I can drink enough water. So we said we like that game. Of course, we like the, the one game with the, with, the, with the total over 45, Arizona-Seattle. One on the backstage pass said, you know, actually, I, I prefer the Russ stacks, the Russ Lockett, Russ Metcalf stacks in that game. Uh, that was a great call. And 49ers-Rams. That was a great game to hit. So th- those were the the, the the right games to hit. We picked the right games to hit. All those games went over. So the Packers-Lions, 67 points scored. Rams-49ers, or 51 points. And Seahawks-Cardinals, 68 points scored. That's where you wanted all your DFS plays. And consolidate around Cardinals-Seahawks. Then sure enough, that was the game that, that shot out more than any other. And in particular, Russell Wilson, three touchdowns. Tyler Lockett, two touchdowns. Oh, baby, what a stack there. But also the St. Brown Civil War. I mean, I'm on Ross St. Brown. Wow. Just wow. Like, wow. Has any rookie wide receiver been this efficient and productive in the second half of a season? I don't remember one. Let me know in the chat if there's ever been one that you can remember. But this may be the best second half by a rookie wide receiver ever since Beckham, maybe? The Odell Beckham second half versus the Amon Ross St. Brown second half. That's that's a good dichotomy. Oh, man, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it through the show? I don't know. I got to blow my nose. I hope I do. I really hope I do. I want to make it. We, we have the tissues. I'm going to be blowing the nose. Uh, no coughs yet, right? So that's good. Colts, Jaguars. What? Like, what? I kept looking at this game going, what? What? But Trevor Lawrence, he may be good, right? It's actually probable, right? It's probable. Most rookie quarterbacks struggle, and most rookie quarterbacks did not have Trevor Lawrence's prospect profile. He's probably good. And this was very reassuring. You weren't playing Dare Gumbawale because we, we saw the, the touch trends showed that Raquel Armstead was getting a, a pretty big share of the workload the previous week, so we knew that was a stay-away backfield. Jonathan Taylor fell 
200 yards short of 2,000. Michael Pittman, productive again, also super efficient, six for seven. Wow. Marvin Jones going out with a, fla- a flurry. We, we, we nailed that. That was the, the, uh, the cornhole kid, right? The cornhole king. Did I call him the cornhole? Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I, I, apologies. I didn't. I can't believe I did that. I called him, called him the cornhole. I like the cornhole kid, actually. The cornhole king is good. Cornhole kid's pretty, pretty good, too, though. I think that might be better. Maybe they might change that nickname. But, yeah, he does a great job, uh, writes an article every week with underdog pickums, and uh, that, was his, that was his favorite pickum of the week was the Marvin Jones over, baby. Congrats to the uh, Cornhole Kid King. LaVisca Chenault's trying to pull me back in with seven targets, 62 yards, efficient day for uh, LaVisca Chenault. Not going to get me. Not going to get me. Not going to get me. He's not going to get me. There's another truth or wide receiver that may reel me back in, but it's not going to be Chenault. <clears throat> oh, there we go. Oh, we broke the seal in the coughing. 30 minutes in. So I know you want me to talk about Steelers-Ravens. Like, oh, it was a pod file. I was going to talk about the Steelers. What do you want me to say? I was right. The Steelers stink. What's the big deal? It, it, who cares who gets the seventh seed? In another year, they wouldn't have even made the playoffs. <coughs> who cares? It doesn't matter. They're going to get crushed. Who gets to lose in the first round? Raise your hand if you're excited to get in the, into the playoffs. You can lose in the first round. Hey! They had a negative 55-point differential, okay? Negative 55. That was worse than the Browns and worse than the Ravens. Worse than Miami. So worse than a bunch of teams. Certainly worse than Denver. Vegas gets in with a negative 65-point differential. Meanwhile, both the Chargers and Broncos had positive point differentials this year. So the Broncos and Chargers are better teams, but the best team doesn't always make it in. Like, you watched last night. Who do you think's better, Chargers or, or Raiders? Chargers. Chargers are better. But you saw the game, like, oh, this is how, this is how it can happen. This is how it can work out. It's football. So you, you, you want to give me the Steelers, I'll give you negative 55-point differential. That's all I need to see. How the actual games work out, you know, how you get, you get blown out when you lose and you barely win when you win and then you make the playoffs and you get destroyed. Big deal. Big deal. The point differential is a much better measure of team quality than wins and losses. So get out of here with your wins and losses and your play. Good for them, though. I mean, good for Ben grinding it out. I mean, he is the best. No one, no one can do what Ben Roethlisberger does. I mean, he so consistently gives you 50 pass attempts and 240 yards. I mean, if you need 240 yards on 50 pass attempts, he's your guy. No one's better at racking up that 5.5 yards per attempt than Ben Roethlisberger. So cheers to him. Not a lot of takeaways from that game, though. I mean, was there an interesting thing about that game at all? I mean, Latavius Murray had the most meaningless smash performance by a running back in the history of Dynasty, right? 150 yards and a touchdown, and yet he's a zero in Dynasty. He still has zero value. No one would ever give you anything for him. So it was the the least needle-moving Dynasty running back performance, perhaps of all time. So that's a takeaway. Mark Andrews, 16 targets. I mean, he is, he's starting to pull away. He's, he's the tight end one in Dynasty. I mean, it, it, spoiler alert, right? We, we know that. So Mark Andrews is the tight end one, it's, it, but he's starting to really pull away from Kittle and Pitts. Friar Muth was awesome. We gave you two uh, tight ends for DFS. 
said pay up for Gronk or, or pay down for Fryermuth. Fryermuth, nine targets, six for 53. Very solid. Great process play. <coughs> Poor Huntley, though. I mean, just a dud performance by Huntley. Two interceptions, no touchdowns. So if there was a question whether you, you need to keep Huntley in your Superflex 2QB Dynasty Leagues, the answer is no. I, I don't think you need to keep him. I think he's flamed out sufficiently after a, a fun game or two. We're like, wait, is this guy, is this a Mike White situation? Turns out, yeah, he was a little more Mike White than he was uh, Russell Wilson or, you know, uh, quarterback that came out of nowhere and, and, and endured, right? He, he's definitely more, <laughs> he was more... Mike White than he was Tom Brady. I'm so happy that some of these games have 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 almost nothing interesting about them, other than they won. Right, Pittsburgh won. They're in the playoffs. That was an exciting game. But what do you expect's going to happen? What, what do you think? I mean, maybe their defense is getting their defense seems to be playing a lot better. But again, look at the quarterbacks they've been playing. Rather than playing like a broken, battered Baker Mayfield, they've been playing the backup for the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, it's just. It's just the way the schedule worked out that Pittsburgh was playing members of their own division in the week after they were eliminated from the playoffs and going up against, you know, backup quality quarterbacks and barely eking out overtime victories. This is how you make the playoffs with a negative 55-point differential. Tannehill, where were you? Where was this four-touchdown game from Tannehill during the season, the fantasy season? Damn you. Julio Jones, where were you? A.J. Brown, where were you during the fantasy season? Where was all this? We were supposed to get this during the fucking fantasy season. And the Texans should be ashamed of yourself. I mean, just ashamed. To let Duke Johnson go, the best veteran running back you had. You decided to go, we're going to get Lindsey and Duke Johnson and, and David Johnson, every Johnson. We're going to grab every Johnson we can. Bring him in. Rex Burkhead, 31 years old. Bring him in. Right, And then the guy they wouldn't give an opportunity to, the guy they assessed in camp and said, you know, this is our fifth running back, is Duke Johnson. So Duke Johnson was the guy they let go. And then everyone goes, including fantasy gamers, well, if this guy couldn't make it on the Texans, his career's over. But you can never underestimate the incompetence of NFL teams. You understand this? This is a, an ongoing theme. Every year we talk about this. You cannot underestimate their incompetence. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. Most of these teams don't know what they're doing. <coughs> they, don't, they don't know. They don't know who's good. They're, they're extending Rex Burkhead. If you're going to extend a running back, why not make it the 28-year-old running back? You might have a couple of years left. Like, Duke Johnson was the most efficient running back in the NFL from 2015 to 2018. On a yards-per-touch basis, Duke Johnson was the most efficient running back in the league. And he's had the normal injuries for running backs, a knee injury, uh hamstring, concussion, okay? It's not like he's his his explosiveness has been sapped. What's wrong with him? Nothing. He was a workhorse at Miami. Then he goes to Miami in the NFL, in the pro leagues, and he's a workhorse again. And Miami would be wise with a, an analytics-driven front office to keep Johnson and Gaskin as their, as their running back duo and, you know, promote Dokes next year and, and run with that and not invest in running back. But... That would, that would be asking too much of NFL teams to just be happy with journeyman running backs that they hit on. <coughs> and the one team that has hit on a, a journeyman running back and decided, yeah, we're going to extend this guy, he's going to be our guy, would be the team that you wouldn't do that. 
Like the Texans doing that for a 31-year-old Rex Burkett makes no sense. You're not a year away. Why wouldn't you just have all young running backs next year? Like, what? What? Yes, Rex Burkhead's played well. Yes, he's a leader in the in, in the locker room. But you can find leaders at other positions. You don't need to burn a running back spot on a leader. There's going to be offensive line. There's going to be defensive positions where you're going to have veterans. You're going to need to have veterans. You don't at running back. It's not a good idea. You should. You, most running backs should be young. You get the most out of them when they're young. They're the best value when they're young. And especially if you're building a franchise, it wouldn't ever be necessary to have an old running back on the roster. You you could bring in a bunch of young running backs and hit on a guy. Rex Burkhead's crowding out a potential young running back that could hit. That's the big problem with that extension. Whether he played well or not, whether he's a leader or not, it's not optimal for the long-term interest of you know increasing the talent profile of the team. Davis Mills, holy shit, right? Wow, this was the game we thought we were getting from Tua. You understand? Like, why were you guys touting Tua last week? Uh, because this was the game he was supposed to have. If Davis Mills can do this, I'm sure Tua could have done this. I don't know what happened last week. No one knows. Didn't make any sense. Davis Mills, though, he's earned a shot. There you go, right? There you go. It would Signing Rex Burke into an extension would be as if Houston, instead of drafting Mills, just decided to bring in Keenum, right? You don't want to do that. You want to give young players a chance and let them surprise you like Davis Mills. And then you can keep giving them a chance. And then maybe, like Tom Brady, over time, they just become the guy. But if you're clogging the roster with veterans <coughs> for a rebuilding team, you, you, you rob yourself of that luxury, of that upside, that asymmetrical upside. I mean, look at New York. Look what New York's doing. What are you doing? What is this? Jake Fromm, what is this? Who's Bachman? I don't know. I don't know that name. David Sills made an appearance. Hey, David Sills and Nash. Brilliant. David Crosby, Sills and Nash. You're going to love it. Elijah Penny. I mean, look at all these teams. Oh, my God. This is so gross. Oh, man. But Gibson reestablishes himself. Now, you got to remember, Antonio Gibson's been a top five dynasty running back for us all year. It hasn't changed. We haven't wavered. And this game helped to solidify him in that position. So this was great to see. <coughs> Barkley, Galladay, we're calling the bottom. It can't get any worse. You're not going to see their dynasty value fall much lower than it already is. It's only going to get better from here on out. Just remember, darkest before the dawn for the Giants. Tom Brady, unreal once again. Matt Rule, gone. Is he gone? I don't know. I, 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 didn't, I didn't see if Matt Rule is gone. Maybe he's not. Maybe somehow he, he's, he's going to uh, hold on to his job. Who knows? But uh, this was the other game that you could play. This game actually hit 68 points too, 41 plus 17. You know, we talked about Rams, 49ers, and especially Seahawks, Cardinals, Packers, Lions, but also this game. This was the, the fourth game. Because I don't think we were, I don't want to say really targeting Packers, Lions, but skinny stacking. This was a game you could target because you could play Brady. Play Brady with Gronk, Brady with Evans. Brady with Gronk was a better process play than Brady Evans because Gronk had 10 targets and 137 yards, but Evans had the touchdowns. We were hoping that Keyshawn Vaughn would be in the Fournette role. He was, which is great. 10 carries, 29 yards, touchdown, good stuff. Uh, he also got the two targets in the passing game, and, and Le'Veon Bell had fewer targets and far fewer 
carries than Keyshawn Vaughn. Bell just happened to have the touchdown. But yeah, Keyshawn Vaughn, when you look at the touch distribution, the opportunity share skewed Vaughn. He had Keyshawn Vaughn had a Leonard Fournette level opportunity share in this game. Bounce back game for DJ Moore. That was cool. Bounce back game for Robbie Anderson. That's not going to help him in Dynasty. He's 28. Robbie Anderson's 28. What do you think you're going to get out of Robbie Anderson the rest of his career? It's not going to be great. Not hopeful. The Patriots cannot win in Miami. And the Colts cannot win in Jacksonville. There's just something about these cursed Florida stadiums that certain teams cannot win in certain Florida stadiums. Why is that? Every time the Patriots go to Miami, something happens like the Wildcat game and they lose. So you kind of had a, a sense that they should win, but they won't. I didn't have that sense with the Colts. I thought the Colts were going to win that game. The fact the Colts lost was shocking. And that's the only reason why the Steelers are even in. Remember, the Steelers are only in because the Colts lost to the Jaguars. The Steelers had a 4% win probability heading into this weekend. So they hit on a, a 4% chance. Congrats. Congrats. Right? I'll take that every time. I'll take that bet every time, baby. And ugh, the Patriots now backing into the playoffs. No home field at all. Brandon Bolden looks super fluid out there. Looked great. I don't understand how it's possible. So many old running backs looked fluid and nimble this year. It's been shocking. Think about it. From Duke Johnson to Brandon Bolden to Devontae Freeman. You saw Latavius Murray. I mean, it's a long list. It's crazy. Jacoby Myers is my number one dynasty buy at wide receiver. He does it again, eight more targets. And the guy is just a machine. He is a machine. And the leading receiver for Miami was Durham Smythe, and they won. I just, right? What is Tua? I don't know. I don't know. They needed him last week. He doesn't deliver in a spot that Davis Mills does deliver. Is he a game manager? Probably yes. That's what he is. He's a game manager plus. That's Tua Tungaveloa. He is right there below Derek Carr and above Baker Mayfield. He's in that class. There's that this that class of quarterback. There's a class of car. There's a class of plane. Right? That there's a certain class. This is that quarterback class. I don't know what you want to call it. The C class. Feels like a C class, right? B it feels too too good. It's a C class. The C plus class. That's Tua. Not quite Derek Carr, but not also as bad as Baker Mayfield, somewhere in between. Taysom Hill had a really good game going. He was very efficient, also running well, and that was disappointing to see him him leave with that foot injury. That was, oh, I, I hated seeing that. I like I liked Taysom Hill. I see no reason why he can't be the quarterback next year. I don't foresee them upgrading, and I think that Taysom Hill is going to be a value in Dynasty. What happened to, to Cordell Patterson? Can someone explain this to me? What the fuck happened to Cordell Patterson? Anybody? And, and how is Traquan Smith finally breaking out? Now, you now Traquan, now, now? He might as well be on the Titans. Right? If, if Traquan Smith was essentially Nick Westbrook-Akine, then it would have been, that, that Titans game would have been all just a big fuck you to every fantasy gamer. Because I had Traquan Smith in a bunch of leagues thinking, hey, this guy could be the number one wide receiver. In fact, he's, he's now running more routes than Marquez Callaway. He was trending up as their primary wide receiver. And then nothing, nothing until now when no one was playing in. Russell Gage, 
Russell Gage is going to have value next year. Another sneaky wide receiver for Dynasty. Not as sneaky as Jacoby Myers, but good player. Kyle Pitts needed like 57 yards or something to surpass Mike Ditka and absolutely face-planted. Let's see. Let's see how many he needed. I don't know. It was well under 100 yards that Pitts needed to pass Mike Ditka and didn't even sniff it. What happened? How were they not game planning to get Pitts the record? I mean, it would have been unfair. Ditka did it in 14 games. He couldn't even do it in 17 games. Got an extra game this year. Still couldn't do it. And yet, after eight yards, it was still a wildly successful rookie year for Kyle Pitts. I'm really happy that he dud it out in the final week because that'll make him even easier to attain next year, especially in seasonal leagues. You can't get Kyle Pitts in Dynasty. I saw where he where he's ranked on DLF, and I was like, wait, what? He was ranked with, like, elite receivers and running backs, and I was like, no, no, no. Tight ends are never that valuable. They, they don't move the needle for your team, in Dynasty especially. No. All right? No, 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 no. They're not the big difference-making talents that you look back and, like, I won the championship because I had Kyle Pitts. You're never going to say that. Just the valuation of Pitts in Dynasty is still inflated. It's come down from its absolute crescendo, but there's still a, a, a mispricing of tight ends generally in Dynasty. So he's he's not going to be a buy in Dynasty this year, this offseason, but he will be in seasonal leagues, I believe. Oh, oh COVID show. <laughs> Blowing the nose. We're going to get through it. We're going to get through the show together. Yeah, you know I'm going to do it. Of course, the Colossus. This is a, this is a, this is a, this is a Colossus performance right here. Zach Wilson, 7 for 20, 87 yards, and he only got the touchdown because of a catch and run. Most of that 87 yards was a Keelan Cole yak catch. Just pathetic. Just pathetic across the board. Nothing to take away from this at all. Nothing. Diggs had a Diggs game. Gabe Davis, 14 targets. I am warming to Gabe Davis. I'll put it this way. I'm warming to Gabe Davis more than I'm warming to Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary is not going to convince me that he's not Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary is not going to convince me that he's he's somehow bigger and faster and he, he, he hasn't been mediocre for consecutive seasons. He's not going to change my mind. Gabriel Davis is, is, is incrementally, consistently impressing me and forcing us to change our perception of him each and every week. It's it's impressive. I didn't think he was capable of 14 targets. I didn't know that. That's cool. Like, I'm very open, very open to Gabriel Davis being awesome. I've always thought he was good. I wasn't sure that there was much probability of him being awesome, but that has been dialed way up. Very exciting. Yeah. I mean, we, we really should talk more about this, uh, the game of the week for DFS. We just said onslaught game. I recommended putting Wilson on top, others like Murray on top. I just, it's so much easier to stack Wilson because you know you could just go Metcalf, Lockett, Lockett, Metcalf, Metcalf, Lockett. And it was a better process play than the box score even indicates because Gerald Everett had a, a, a touchdown off his fingers. Like it wasn't off his fingers. This one came in and was just, just flat dropped. Like, and, and he knew it. The offensive line was like, oh. Russell Wilson was like, oh, 
everyone was like, ah, oh. he was like, ah, oh. that was a bummer. Eno Benjamin, same efficiency as James Conner because running back is largely replaceable. Most running backs are interchangeable. There's precious few that are not. It turns out that maybe Rashad Penny is not. That would be really cool if Rashad Penny's actually awesome. I am still skeptical. I want to see more. He's very old for a breakout running back. Let's just, I just want to make sure that this is in context fully. Rashad Penny was a first round pick in 2018. Rashad Penny was super explosive, 92nd percentile speed score in a 2018. Next year is going to be the 2022 season, and he's going to be 26. So it's possible, right? It's possible that this is just who he is, and he's been this guy all along. But if that's true, then shame on Pete Carroll again for missing this, for going with Chris Carson because toughness when you had the explosive producer here, right? So I'm not 100% convinced that Rashad Penny is what we've seen in the last five weeks. Just like I'm not convinced that that's what Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be for the rest of his career. There's too much data on day three picks at wide receiver flashing and then not enduring that I'm not all the way out in front on Amon Ross St. Brown. And there's also too much data on older running backs and running backs that don't break out in their first four years that I remain skeptical of Rashad Penny's ability to endure as an RB1 in fantasy for the next few years. I hope it happens. It's a great story. It's just I'm not going to be all the way out in front on Rashad Penny in Dynasty, and I'm not going to be all the way out in front on Amon Ross St. Brown in this offseason. I'm just warning you that's going to be the case. And that still does not excuse Pete Carroll's inability to self-scout the franchise. No matter what you think about Rashad Penny's ability to be an RB1 in fantasy the next couple years, it doesn't change the fact that he's clearly better than Chris Carson. If you're going to run the ball, you might as well give your team the ability to score on a long run anytime you want to draw up a run play. And that's what Rashad Penny's doing. He's delivering these big, splashy runs. That's what you want. That's why we want explosiveness from our running backs because if you're going to do the inefficient thing, which is to run the ball, you might as well give yourself that ripcord to get a 32, 62, 82-yard run out of it. And that's what Rashad Penny did, 62-yard run. Awesome. He's been doing that ever since he seized the starting job. He's been delivering these long runs. It's been super impressive. And it's super shameful for the Seahawks. I mean, if I was the executive over there in Seattle, I would look at this Rashad Penny versus Chris Carson dichotomy and be like, listen, Pete, can you explain yourself? If I was compiling a dossier for a team to help evaluate their coach, this would be in there. Listen, he had this guy on the roster all this time, and he didn't even realize what he had. It's pretty shameful. I know he was hurt, but come on. Come on. Another incredible game, 49ers coming back to win. What I was thinking when it was 17-0 was the Rams are smart. They know the 49ers are just a straight-up dangerous team in the playoffs, and they're trying to kill the vampire before it even makes it to the playoffs. Stab the vampire before it gets dark, right? Drive a stake through its heart, 
in week 18. And they were about to do it, and then they just stopped scoring. And then here comes Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, and this team is just so dangerous. Kittle, seven targets, 10 yards. What? Kittle's by far and away the most volatile tight end in the NFL. One of the most volatile tight end seasons I've ever seen this year from Kittle. I mean, it's either 30-plus fantasy points or under 10. Beckham, uh, right? This is tough. When a team's offense evaporates and Beckham no-shows, that's an indictment. Cam Akers, three for three in the passing game. Cam Akers, welcome back. His dynasty value is going up because he just, just making it back to the field and proving that you can operate as a primary back is a removes so much uncertainty, removes so much of the uncertainty that surrounds these injury recoveries. It's just huge. So he, he hasn't suffered a setback. There's so much more uncertainty around J.K. Dobbins. With Travis Etienne, we've heard that he's healthy, that he could have returned, but they just didn't see a need and they wanted to, to have an abundance of caution. So I have now very little concern about Cam Akers' recovery, a little bit less, um, a little bit more concern about Travis Etienne's recovery, and quite a bit more concern about J.K. Dobbins' recovery at this point. If you had to go back and point a finger at someone, I have been reticent to ever point the finger at Odell Beckham, but you bring in an Odell Beckham to make a big play late in the game and to look up and to see he had less than 20 yards and they lost in the fourth quarter and he disappeared. The one big catch he had was in the first half. I think that's justified. Where, what happened? Where were you? Was he injured? I don't know. Finally, Chiefs Raiders, we're going to make it. We, we've been on for over an hour. This is incredible. This is happening. COVID show. Fill in the audience with hope that we may return to normalcy in 2022. That's my wild and crazy speculation, especially now that I've succumbed to this thing firsthand, is that this particular variant may be our way out. We thought it could happen in 2021. That was some wishful thinking, a little bit aggressive, but... Remember, all those early models from two years ago had us starting to return to normalcy in 2022. It all could just be working out the way uh, th those those early expectations had uh, laid it out. I still can't believe we're doing the show right now. I can't believe we're live still. I can't believe I made it. I was like, you know what? Let's try. Let's try. I feel pretty good. I feel good. You know, I'm congested. But let's go. Let's do it. And then sure enough, boom, we made it. And there's certainly been a... a Two ships passing in the night, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. I don't think there's a question. I think in, in any format, whether it be seasonal leagues, whether it be dynasty, assuming Mike Williams comes back, I think Mike Williams is who you want because he's younger, right? He's a couple of years younger than Keenan. Keenan Allen's going to be 30. And we're starting to see Keenan Allen slow down a little bit. That's all that's happening. He's still getting eight targets, right? But he's becoming more of a traditional NFL possession receiver where Mike Williams has that big play potential. 17 targets? I mean, what? This guy was awesome again. He's had big boom performances a lot this year. Go back in the game log. Look at all those big boom performances from Mike Williams. Let's do it right now. Fuck it. He starts the season with three straight weeks with more than 20 fantasy points. Has a dud. Then he has a 36-point week. Then he has four straight duds. Then a 20-point week. Then he's consistently in the teens... And then he has another big uh, boom performance. 
highly volatile player, but still you want to lean into that volatility. Like, oh, I can get consistency from Keenan Allen. Nah, 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 nah. You want the big boom performances, the weak winning performances that Mike Williams can deliver. Your, your fantasy team was better off that way. You'll end up winning more matchups that way if you embrace the volatility week to week with a Mike Williams. You certainly would be better off in DFS playing a Mike Williams too. I just didn't think we'd be here. I mean, heading into this year, if I told you that Mike Williams would be more productive than Keenan Allen on a per-game basis, like, what? No. Yeah. Both healthy? Yeah. But Brian Edwards. <coughs> this is where my truth or loyalty lies. I love Brian Edwards. I think that he was cursed with a truly awful quarterback fit. I think he would be good with a different quarterback, and I will continue to believe in him. He was their leading receiver in a big, big, big-time win to make the playoffs. <coughs> he was efficient, and I'm a fan. <coughs> Damn it, I got cocky. Woo! Oh, what a show. <coughs> Great COVID show. It's worked out well. <coughs> 